In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus traveled around Galilee, teaching and healing. Crowds gathered and followed him. Jesus went up on a mountain and taught the most famous sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, he starts with eight statements that all begin with the word, blessed. Join us as we journey through these eight descriptions that show where true joy and abundant life can be found. Well, we are in a series, everybody, that we are now in part five of, and the other four are online. If you've missed any of them, go back on our app or on our website. You can catch up. Uh, We're calling the series Blessed because we're preaching on these eight statements that Jesus made that all have some form of blessed are those who. And what he's talking about are kingdom virtues. If you live according to a kingdom virtue instead of a worldly virtue, you'll be blessed. Different kind of life. And the reason that this is so important, we've kind of talked about the challenge for each of us, is we've grown up with worldly virtues. We've grown up being told there's a way to make it in this world. Like, you got to watch out for yourself because nobody else will. That kind of idea, right? And Jesus came along and said, well, actually, there are virtues in the kingdom of God to base your life on. They're going to be a little different. So we're having to challenge our way of thinking throughout the series, right? But if you build your life upon this, live according to these, you're going to experience a life that's going to be more and look more blessed. And so that's what we're after. These are called the Beatitudes. They're the first eight statements that Jesus made in his most famous teaching ever. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. If you ever want to just sit down and read it, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for us. And so that means that what we're looking at are the first eight statements of chapter 5. So if you go to your Bibles, you can turn with me there. We're going to jump in in just a second with that. How many of you are Gamecock fans in the room, though? I want to touch on sports. There you go. Got one person willing to admit it, a second one reluctantly. Well, if I'm not the only one in the room, you know, the first game of the season, you guys were really loud. It's, it's going down a little bit, but the first game of the season, uh, one of my closest friends here at Grace Life came to me, man. He was beaming from ear to ear. I mean, just like he was, sun was shining on him from a distance because he is a massive South Carolina Gamecock fan and a pretty massive equal hater of the Clemson Tigers. And so when Clemson lost their first game of the season and the Gamecocks won their first game, he came to me with all the statistics on the last day that both Clemson had lost and the Gamecocks had won. And just for the record, Gamecock fans, he had to go back a few years to find such a day. But here's what's funny is all of the Gamecock fans are having like their best season ever Morally or, or emotionally, that's why she said emotionally. And uh, your record is just like every other year. But you're excited because Clemson's record looks like your record. There you go. And that, that's what you're all excited about. Who cares? We're doing what we normally do. But Clemson is losing. Yeah. And the point to that is we love when rivals lose because rivals deserve to lose. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, it doesn't matter who they are. If they're the rival, they deserve to lose. That's the way it goes. I'm a Duke fan. Man, when UNC loses, I'm just cheering. That's just the way that goes. But anyway, back to the point. Hey, let's move away from sports for a minute. Let me ask you a question. Who, either as an individual or a group, do you like to see get what they deserve? Get what's coming to them. I've got a group of people that I I like to see get what they deserve. Bad drivers. (laughs) And, And I, of course, am defining who's bad, just for the record. It's their inability to get out of my way, for one thing, to drive correctly. And my number one group, my subgroup of that group, are people who drive slowly in the left-hand lane. Now, I know that some of you do this, unaware, of course, 
But I told you as a joke, but it's very serious. Whatever I preach on, I have to live. And so earlier in the week, I wrote, this, I'm gonna start out with this little story. And I kid you not, about midway through the week in my neighborhood, I pull out, we've got like two lanes going every direction kind of parkway. And, and I'm in the left-hand lane and I start going. And for no reason, this car just immediately gets right in front of me and slows down. And I'm thinking, God sent this thing. Actually, that was not my first thought. My first thought was the devil sent this person. Because <laughs> I couldn't get around them because there was a car in the other lane. And I had to follow them for miles, even through left turns and stoplights, because I could just never get my NASCAR move going on. You know, they were always... <laughs> And when I finally did get up beside this person, they were looking at their phone like this and their steering wheel here. No wonder they're going, well, at least they're going slow because they're going to hit something. But anyway, don't we love when these people get with it? See, it is our human nature to decide when someone or a group of someone is wrong and we want them to get what they deserve. I want them to get a ticket for driving slow in the left-hand lane so they can get out of the way so I can go too fast and not get a ticket. That's how we see the world. It's our human nature. And that's why Jesus had to give us the fifth beatitude because it is very contrary to hoping that people that we see as wrong get what they deserve. So we're on verse seven of chapter five, everybody, where Jesus simply said, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. So look, if we're going to be merciful and we're going to extend mercy to people, then, well, we've got to stop and ask the question, what is mercy? I mean, we, we need to have a, a good working definition, right? And I'm going to give you one that is a really good definition, but also it is such a simple definition, you'll be able to hold on to it and remember it on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, because that's what really matters, is what can you do with the message later in the week, right? And, and so the working definition we're going to use is mercy is when you do not get what you deserve. When you do not get what you do Deserve When you do not give to someone what they do deserve. It is when we choose to not judge or persecute someone when they have been wrong and, and they've done something. We, we hold, withhold that. It's what we do any time in our own lives, when, even if we know we've done something wrong. For instance, if you've ever been pulled over by a police officer, blue lights behind you, you pull over on the side of the road, and as your heart is beating faster and you're pulling over, every one of us says the exact same prayer. No one taught us to say it. It's not in the Bible as when you get pulled over by a police officer, verse seven. It's not in there, and yet somehow we all intuitively cry out, God have, exactly, and what we mean by that is, God, I was speeding. I already know that. God, I rolled through that stoplight. Or God, I, I went through that stop sign with only a rolling pause kind of thing. I deserve, but please don't give me this ticket. Please let me not get what I deserve. We cry out for mercy. That's what mercy is, is where we hope we don't get what we deserve. Another way to look at it is when we extend compassion to someone, not because they deserve it, simply because they need it. So for instance, forgiving someone would be an act of mercy. It is mercy to forgive someone, not because they deserve it. Maybe they don't know what they did wrong. Maybe they don't apologize to you. Maybe they don't even agree with you, and yet you still choose to forgive them because they need to be forgiven, not because they deserve it. If you are generous to someone who is in a, a tough financial situation, even if they kind of had a little something to do with it, and so they don't deserve someone to help them and rescue them, but they need someone. And so when you're generous, you are being merciful. You guys following this? When someone's in a bad situation and maybe they helped contribute to the relational breakdown of their situation, but you support them in tough times, not because they deserved it, they weren't perfect, 
but because they need it. You're being merciful. You guys following this? And as I was studying for this, I came across one quote uh, on uh, what mercy is from a Bible scholar that was so well worded. I just wanted to share it with you, put it on the screen for you, because he says this, that mercy does not concern itself with strict calculation. Y'all see that? Strict calculation of what people deserve. But that's the very thing we do. I did this and they said that and they treated me this way and I've got a list and it's point number seven and I hope they get seven straight. I mean, we've got it calculated down to every little thing they've done and the way they've treated us. Mercy doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, mercy allows people to make a fresh start and it often involves forgiveness and the release of others from their indebtedness. Now this is where the Beatitudes all start to come together. There are eight statements that we're going to be looking at. The first four are how we relate to God, how we understand ourselves and our position before God. Those are the four we've looked at so far. And so what happens is it turns right here on number five. Jesus goes from how you're going to relate to God to how you're going to relate to people based upon how you're going to relate to God. And so the first four, if we've got them in our lives, if they are coming out of us, if they're in our character and our nature, it will help us do the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh that we're gonna be talking about over the next three weeks. Here's what I mean, and especially for those of you who are here for the first time and maybe you, you haven't caught all four of them or somebody who's been you know, missing one or two for travel or whatever reason. So we started out the series with blessed are the poor in spirit. That means that you relate to God by saying, I've got nothing. I need you, God. It's the cry of our heart. I need you, God. I, I have nothing to offer. I can't impress you. There's nothing inherently good in me. Apart from you, I cannot succeed in life or at anything. I need God. That's what it means to be blessed or the poor in spirit. And, and then we went to blessed are those who mourn. And this is not talking about mourning for the, the loss of a loved one. That's in scripture somewhere else. That's, that's another topic. This is talking about those who mourn over sinfulness especially their own, the world's and then their own. They are people who recognize, God, I have offended you and your glory. I have defamed your name and, and it has hurt you. And so you, you come to a place where you're actually broken emotionally, maybe even to the point of tears. That's why blessed are those who mourn. And then we learn blessed are the meek. And the meek are people who are simply humble. They are humble before other people, which means they do everything possible to help promote another person, even at their own expense. But it also means they're humble before God. And what humility before God looks like is submission. God is God, I'm not, he's greater, I'm less, I'll do what he says. It's tough for us as humans. And then the one that we looked at last week, the fourth one that helps us relate to God, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to be right with God and to live in a world that is right with God. Now, now follow these. I'm going to put each one of them into one sentence for you. And so when we have people who recognize their need before God, when we have people who are broken over their sinfulness, when we have people who are willing to put others before themselves, when we have people who are doing everything possible to become more like God, those people will be merciful. Because they will recognize how much they need and then they will quickly extend that to everyone else when they see them in need. And so the problem is if we don't deal with the first four, if we don't look at ourselves as poor in spirit and in need, if we don't look at ourselves as meek and humble towards other people, we'll do things like, oh, well, God, look, look at some of your people over there. At least I'm better than them. And when we think that way, we will not extend mercy to them. 
And so let's turn this upside down. If that's what will help us be merciful, what is the number one thing that will keep us from being merciful? And it is to judge people. Judgment is what we do. We look at people and, and we think that we're a step ahead of them or they deserve it because it was their mistake that got them there in that situation. And, and we judge the circumstance through which they are in. And so we no longer think that we should extend the mercy, which is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount had to bother to tell us this. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own? Isn't it so funny that when somebody does something, they get themselves in a situation of need, they want you to be merciful toward them? That we are so able to see their mistakes. We can look at the world around us and we're like, oh yeah, I see your problem over there. And Jesus is like, man, y'all got a perception problem because like the biggest problem, like the log is here and there's a speck over there and somehow you manage to see past the log and see the speck and we judge people. And I can promise you this, you will never be merciful to someone that you have judged. You will not extend mercy to someone that you think they rightly should be going through that. After all, it's their own fault. You'll never extend mercy. You'll never extend mercy to someone that you think didn't handle that as well as you did when you went through it. Well, you know, I've been through something like that, and when I did, at least I had such and such, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's, I mean, they, they just deserve it's all about the word deserve because mercy is when we treat someone based on their need, not what they deserve. Is this making sense? So we have a very simple application question for us today. Am I merciful? The problem is that's a little too generic because there's no one in here that can say, of course, Jimmy, I am merciful all of the time to everyone in every circumstance. Anybody? Didn't think so. And I'm pretty sure and hope there's no one in here who would say, I'm never merciful, not to anyone, not in any circumstance. So we're kind of caught somewhere in the middle, right? And what catches us in the middle is not just our mood in the day, but it is actually the type of circumstance, the situation that the person has found themselves in. What, it, what we'll see is we look at our own lives is we will be able to look and go, well, those people I can be merciful towards. Those people, yeah, not so much. And so as I was preparing the message, I felt like God gave me four groups of people, <clears throat> really four circumstances that we'll find ourselves in where we may tend to not receive mercy or give mercy. And so I think this will really help us. So instead of just having one question, <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry, we're, we're going to look at four questions as we break down the different uh, scenarios people find themselves in. Does that make sense to everybody? So here you go. The first real question we actually have to ask ourselves is, am I merciful toward the foolish? Am I merciful toward the foolish? And, and I'm not just talking about, you know, like somebody you call a fool, like the A-team, I pity the fool, you know, not like that kind of thing, but but when I say foolish, I mean the biblical idea of less wise at the moment, less mature at the moment. And the reason that we have a hard time being merciful towards the foolish is because they got themselves there. I mean, you ever heard yourself say something like, well, why should we help them? They are the fool that ran their mouth and said no to their boss and got fired and now can't pay their bills. It's not my fault. Why should I help them? That may be true but it is not merciful. Do you remember 
a day when you were foolish. Now, look, y'all are great people, so some of you are going to have to strain your memory. You're going to have to think back a long time. But do you remember when you did something that you probably wouldn't do today if you had a chance again? You see, when we talk about wise and mature, that's somewhere along a scale. And so everybody, real quickly, just give yourself a number between 1 and 10, 10 being the highest, of how wise and mature you think you are. Got a number? Good. You were not always there. Matter of fact, the way you got there was by doing some foolish things and not wanting to go through that again. You know, it, was, it, it didn't seem like that foolish of an idea when you were in seventh grade and your friend said, I forgot to do my homework. We got to go to class in three minutes. Hey, can I copy your answers? Didn't seem that foolish to go, sure. Except I didn't realize the teacher was behind me. <laughs> True story. <laughs> and then you go, God have mercy. Because I'm like a straight A student. I can't get a zero. I can't, you know, that kind of thing, right? Do you remember when you were 22, graduated college, got your first job, and you bought whatever that thing was you had to have? And, and so maybe it was that brand new car. I've been waiting on this brand new car. I got a brand new car. And then a month later, you figured out the car payment was twice the rent. And no longer can you afford groceries. You need your mama to be merciful and still cook you dinner. <laughs> you pull up to her house in your Corvette. <laughs> Foolish. You don't deserve free groceries riding up in a Corvette, but you need them, and you hope your mama's got some mercy. How, how are merciful are you towards people who, are, who you used to be? Foolish. Number two, am I merciful toward the opposed? And by this, what I mean is we're very different people, and our differences are not just in the way we dress or the favorite color we have, but it's what we think, how we see the world, and therefore it ends in things like how we believe and the causes we fight for. And, and well, have y'all noticed, and I've said this recently quite a bit, have you noticed our world's getting a little more divided, it seems? Well, here's the thing, there's, there are no new beliefs, and there are no new opinions, but what used to be in our world was well, you're different from me, and you think that way, and I think that way, and so we have some different causes, but now let's go get a cheeseburger together. And the perception has changed, and or the reality has changed. I think it's some of both, just to be honest. Where if you think differently from me, you believe differently from me, and if you are that different from me, no longer is it just our causes that are opposed, but we are opposed. And we're making enemies out of people that simply are different. So dare I say two words, politics, religion. You know, there's a reason that we have the saying, hey, if you meet somebody, talk about the weather, not politics or religion, because we know we won't be merciful when it comes to politics and religion. See, here's, here's the problem. There, there, there probably was a day, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've heard some of our founding fathers had a little bit of a struggle with each other, but nonetheless, there was a day where I think that a Democratic senator and a Republican senator might have voted differently, but then went to lunch together. I've heard such stories in some autobiographies. And today you wonder if that would happen. Matter of fact, today you kind of imagine if, if one senator broke down in a rainstorm in Washington, D.C., got a flat tire or something, that if, if somebody of the other party drove by, they would just laugh and keep on going. Like they wouldn't pull over to help them change that tire. Now I realize this is a bad analogy because senators don't change their own tires anyway, right, y'all? But just go along with it. The point is we have let people 
who are different and we are in a very diverse world created by a very creative God. We, we get the belief that they are opposed and if they are opposed, then they don't deserve our mercy. And we begin to take everything out. We treat people like they're enemies. We, we treat people with different political views like they're our enemies. You know what the problem with religion is? We treat them like they're our enemies. Our job, our mission is to go and make Jesus famous, to help everybody go to heaven. But we do not see Muslims or atheists or any other thing that we could put on the list as someone who needs Jesus. We see them as enemies. And we no longer do our mission because we are not merciful toward the opposed. You guys follow what I'm saying? You want to change the world? Okay, four of you. But that is the best all weekend. I will give you the record. That's the best all weekend. Okay. Well, when you wake up tomorrow to the same old broken world and you just, you got what you asked for. There you go. Nothing's changed. Can, can we go back to the idea that God put his church on planet earth to change it and make it better? All right. Do you want to change the world? then what if we actually started treating people with mercy, even if we wouldn't vote the same way on a cause or an opinion or go to the same building for worship or, or, or cheer for the same football team? What if we actually just began to be merciful and show the love of God to everybody? I don't know. I, th I think the world could change. And it actually kind of leads right up to the third question. Am I merciful toward the lost? I'm merciful toward the lost. And by lost, I mean somebody who is not a Jesus follower, a worshiper of God, somebody who would probably say, I don't agree with the Bible, I don't go to church, those kinds of things. I mean, there are people who are lost and, and maybe they're more aware of it than others. Lost, by that I mean as a non-believer. Are you merciful toward them? Now, I'm sure all of you are, and you're the exception to the rule. But everywhere else, there are Christians who have a reputation. I don't know if you're aware of it, but the reputation of Christians in the world is that when, when we see a, a, a heathen, can I dare say, and their life is a mess because they have not followed God's way, we tend to just go, well, if you'd have been smart enough like me to do what God says and come to church with me and, and, and worship with me, you wouldn't be in that situation, so it is not my fault Bless your heart. <laughs> if anyone's ever said bless your heart to you and you've said thank you, you were the one fooled for the record. <laughs> Here in the South, we don't mean bless when we say bless your heart. But anyway, back to the point. We are known for shaking our heads at them because, well, they rejected God. It's their own fault. Can, can I just acknowledge the truth? Yes. God's word is full of do this this way, be blessed. Don't do this this way, there will be a consequence. And yes, if they are going through some of those consequences, yes, God is trying to get their attention. Yes, God is drawing them to him. However, shaking our heads, being proud, and refusing to be merciful is probably not the answer. Matter of fact, again, if you wanna change the world, imagine if you went up to them and said, I am so sorry, can I help you? Maybe be generous to them, maybe pray for them, maybe help them, maybe go the extra mile. Jesus said something about if they ask you to go one mile, go two. Maybe you do something they don't deserve, but they need, and when they say, why would you help me? Well, hey, look, I just wanna show you how much God loves you because God has been merciful to me, not because I deserved it, because I needed it. That will get people to heaven. That will change the world.
The fourth group is a little more delicate. And uh, I've saved it for last because it's going to be the most sensitive to talk about. It's going to be probably the most challenging. But it's the one that I see causing the most damage in the world today, especially in the church. It's the one that I think is breaking a lot of relationships, causing a lot of division, and, well, it makes it look at least like the devil's winning a lot of the time. And so before we ask this question, I need to ask you to ask another one. Are you prepared today to let the Holy Spirit challenge you? Or are you prepared today to maybe have a moment where you go, hmm, I never thought of that that way. So as we finish, because of the nature of this one, I'm, I'm gonna soften my tone, and I hope that you'll allow the Holy Spirit to soften your heart and receive this one as it is intended, because, well, you'll see. The question is this, am I merciful toward sinners? Am I merciful toward sinners? And by that, I don't mean the lost. Of course, they're sinners. They haven't been saved by Jesus. They're sinners. Not talking about that. And when it comes to us, I'm not talking about how we always say, well, we're all sinners. Of course we are. I'm not talking about the kind of sin of getting mad in traffic so we, we give each other lots of mercy because I get mad in traffic, you get mad in traffic, it's all fine. I'm talking about the kind of sin that you'd use words like deplorable, appalling, where you'd ask questions like, how dare you? The kind of sin where you would say they definitely knew better and should have chosen better. The kind of sins that make a list like someone abused you or someone that you love. Someone stole from you and it was a big deal. Someone sinned morally against you or someone you love. You get, you get what I'm saying? And as we look at a list like that, we would, we would call those things evil. And that may be fair. But then we tend to take one more step and we call that person evil. And we begin to say, they deserve it whatever. We vilify them. We attempt to stone them metaphorically. We abandon them. After all, they should have known better. Should have chosen better. What they did was deplorable. It's been my experience that we struggle as believers to help believers. We would say they deserve to be punished to the max. They deserve to be cut off. They deserve what's coming to them. And the question that we should ask is, do they really? Jesus, John chapter 8, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him. They sat down and he taught them. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus simply bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let one who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. It's very important that you don't miss the details of this story. He did not justify what she's done. He did not defend what she had done. He did not say they were wrong in their interpretation of their idea of punishment. It was the correct understanding of the law. He did not say that they were even wrong in wanting to fulfill it. He was simply making the point Those of you who have received so much mercy might want to consider extending some. And once more, he bent down and he wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. People often ask, what was he writing? And the truth is, you'll have to ask when you get to heaven. We'll never know. But most Bible scholars, as well as most people, when they read the story, they come up with the same idea. And that is that when he bent down to write on the ground, he was writing the names of people and sins that were in the crowd. Have you ever thought about this? This entire mob of people wanting to stone one woman for one immoral action. Has it ever crossed your mind that with that many people, that many humans in a mob, chances are real good she was not the only woman deserving of being stoned at that moment. So as someone stood there with a stone in their hand and they look at the ground and they see Jesus just wrote their name and what they did, probably going to drop that and begin to walk away and no offense younger folks but it began with the older ones you see the older ones through maybe more mistakes maybe more bad experiences have probably become a little more in touch with their own sinfulness their own needs they've learned to forgive maybe the hard way And so they were quicker to acknowledge Jesus' words. I have no right to throw a stone. And so, everyone left. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, send no more. Again, he acknowledged what she did was wrong. Never defended. Simply recommended that 
sinners extend mercy because we've received so much of it. The reason I think this is such a difficult topic is because one of the more common parts of my job as well as one of the most difficult parts of my job is to help believers who have sinned in a way that they should have known better. And my role is to help them put their life back together. Maybe put their marriage back together, whatever the situation is in. And What I've noticed we struggle with in the church is when a believer sins, we, we automatically have this, they don't deserve mercy. They deserve what's coming to them. And everybody turns against, vilifies and puts them in a, an isolated place. They want the juicy details of what they've done, which usually amounts to nothing more than gossip and slander if you're not the person involved in the problem or the solution. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The other side of this is the person who has been sinned against. And I'm not gonna speak to that as much in this moment. Don't let my word count say that it's not as important. But I'm not gonna speak to it as much because we all look at the person who's been sinned against and we naturally think they didn't deserve that. They do deserve my support, my empathy, my compassion and healing. And because we believe they deserve it, we surround them. We do. So we don't have to be told to go and be merciful to someone who deserves mercy. But we have to be told to go and be merciful to someone who in our minds does not. And realistically, maybe does not deserve, but most certainly needs it. It's what Jesus would ask of us. Because few are willing to forgive and support a believer who has sinned in some of their worst, most embarrassing moments. But can I ask you a question? If a sinner cannot repent and be restored and comforted and accepted in church, where can they go? Where is left on the earth? That's why scripture tells us, dear brothers and sisters, if someone, another believer, is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. I don't think churches have done a very good job at this. Some churches in their ego to protect whatever maybe didn't do a good job on the other side either. And sadly, sometimes the sin goes beyond the believer in the church family to where both the believer and the one sinned against are both in the same church family. It's one of the most difficult things that I've had to do is to lead people through that. I've had to do it a lot in my career. The reason I'm speaking to that today is because sadly, our church is going through one of those situations right now and, in, and involved a leader in the church. And so I want to I want to tell you where we are and what we're doing with that. And in order to, to do this well, I've written it and I'd like to actually read it the way I wrote it, if you'll allow me. As some of you are already aware, we had an elder on our team who sinned morally. 
First, I want to tell you how sorry I am personally that this happened. Honestly, I must confess that I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that we had a leader who sinned in this way. Ultimately, it is my responsibility to provide leadership for you that is trustworthy. And while I may not be able to know the secrets of every person's heart, it is nonetheless my role to lead the elder team, staff, leadership, and anyone else. So I apologize to you for letting that happen on my watch. He was removed from leadership immediately, actually removed himself. As he confessed and repented to the leadership before any accusation was brought against him. And the leadership of Grace Life throughout this has encouraged full transparency and confession, both toward the victim and the legal authorities, and at no time tried to hide any sin or limit the victim's voice. Any statement contrary to that is simply inaccurate. So as we bring this into the context of our message today, blessed are the merciful. As the pastor of this family, it has been sad to see there are some who have not been able or at least not willing to extend mercy to someone who has sinned in such a way. I need you to know I cannot respond that way. As a person who has been forgiven much, I must forgive. As a pastor, I must help to restore. I must do everything possible to provide healing and support for the victim. And I must also do everything possible to help a repentant sinner be restored. Not necessarily to a leadership position, but restored in their relationship with people and their relationship with God. It's for lawyers and court systems to choose sides and punishment. Not for me. It's for the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, you and me, to provide support and healing in any form to the one who has been sinned against. We have and are making every effort to do so. And it is also for the church to help a repentant sinner take their next step toward God and be restored to a right path. Blessed are the merciful. And then here comes the promise. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's very easy to be in a position where you look at someone you've known, someone you've trusted, and say, how dare you? I will encourage you caution you that that is a thought of judgment it's the thought of I wouldn't do that I can't tell you as a pastor the number of people that would say today they would never do that and, and would be right today but find themselves in a place quite different five or ten years down the road you see what we have missed sight of, again, if we don't get the first four Beatitudes and recognize the humility we need in our own lives, is we lose sight of the fact that ultimately as humans, we are all one decision from stupid. 
And we, we do not understand that we all have the capacity to find ourselves in a place of needing mercy. Given the right, excuse me, wrong set of circumstances or temptations. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll receive mercy. And you need to ask yourself, if you ever were to find yourself in a place of needing mercy, would you receive it? And that's not to mention our own day-to-day sinfulness. Every day we wake up and we have attitudes that don't honor God. We, we say things to people that Jesus would never say to them. We have thoughts that we hope God didn't notice. You see, the best news of the Bible, the best news in life, but God, being rich in his mercy. You see, it's not what we deserve before God. Matter of fact, we clearly deserve the opposite. God looks down at his children, his creation, and he says, of all my people who are made in my image, no one has offended my glory more. Of, of all the, you knew better. You knew, but you chose. What you deserve is eternal punishment for the sin. But what you need is for me to rescue you. God, being rich in his mercy, reached down and gave us not what we deserved, but what we need. Can't we do for the world what God has done for us? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you have been the most incredible example of the way that you want us to live by bestowing the most incredible mercy at the expense of your son's life on those who did not deserve such and had no answer to help themselves. But it was because of your love that you were merciful. And we thank you. And we say, God, since we're made in your image and you've put us here to reach this world, will you help us be merciful to the world around us? We won't be able to do it without you. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I wanna speak to those of you that have yet to receive the most incredible gift, the greatest act of God's mercy, and that is what we call the free gift of salvation. As I explained, God loved you so much he solved a problem you could never solve. You could never pay for your sinfulness, be set free. So he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life so that when he died on the cross, the blood that he shed paid for your sins. And if we receive this free gift of salvation, we receive forgiveness of our sins and eternal life with him. If you've never made the exchange of the life you've been living for yourself, for the forgiven and redeemed life he has for you. I wanna help you do that right now, wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And today, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I am forgiven. 
my simple prayer here today. Would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Everybody help me celebrate with those people. Amen.